Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. I'm Grant Percet. You might have seen recently in the news that a new 12th Qumran cave was recently discovered just about a month ago. This is fascinating news. I mean, it's unbelievable. For over 50 years, people have been searching for possible other Qumran caves after the original Dead Sea Scrolls were found several decades ago. And this is exciting news. Dr. Craig Evans, he's been on the show numerous times, and he is a world-renowned expert on the Dead Sea Scrolls, among other things. An incredible New Testament scholar. He's debated people like Bart Ehrman, etc. But anyway, he emailed last week to, to get the word out about an article that he'd written for Fox News. And the article was talking about this new 12th cave. This new 12th cave is something that researchers hypothesized might exist for many years and hoped would exist, and it has been found. Now, sadly, it was looted before they found it, probably about 50 years ago, by Bedouins that found it and have been selling the fragments that were found on the black market. Many of those fragments have been bought, and they are in collections, and this cave find is actually going to help possibly identify some of those fragments. They'll be able to hopefully connect those fragments with this cave. Now, this isn't the end of the story, though. <laughs> You'll hear in our interview, we talked to Dr. Evans about what to expect next, because a find like this tells us that more is out there. In other words, it hasn't all been found. In fact, there are two extremely hopeful caves that will be investigated soon that might have untouched fragments in them and untouched scrolls in them. So it's exciting, and you're going to be excited to hear what Dr. Evans has to say about this new Dead Sea Scrolls find. You know, that's not all we're going to talk to Dr. Evans about. I mean, he's an expert on all things New Testament related and in many other biblical areas. And one of the things that we're going to talk to him about today on the interview is this first century fragment of the Gospel of Mark, something that will probably be released to the public later on this year. It might end up being the earliest fragment of the Gospels, or the New Testament for that matter, ever discovered. Now, I know the researchers are kind of going back and forth a little bit between a second century date and a first century date. I think Dr. Evans is going to clarify that for us a little bit, but if it ends up being first century, that'll be the first first century fragment of any New Testament manuscript that we have. So exhilarating news. We're going to talk to Dr. Evans about that. We're going to talk to him about the Dead Sea Scrolls. We'll talk to him about some other things as well. Well, every time we get a chance to talk to Dr. Evans, it's an incredible pleasure. I mean, this guy is a scholar among scholars. He is someone who is defending the gospel and the Christian faith around the world. He goes up against some of the brightest critical minds and puts them in their place uh, in a scholarly way, in an academic way. I mean, when How Jesus Became God came out, it was Bart Ehrman's attack on the divinity of Jesus. You know, Ehrman claims that 
that was ascribed to Jesus long after his life, that it was kind of mythical, developed over time, and Ehrman really tried to go after the resurrection, because of course, if you could disprove the resurrection, you'd disprove Christianity. And Ehrman's own opinion is waffled back and forth between some outlandish responses to the resurrection, and in the response to how Jesus became God, Dr. Evans wrote a chapter in How God Became Jesus that absolutely obliterated the arguments that Ehrman put forth to refute the resurrection. Uh, Evans is someone that I respect for his clarity and what he says and his ability to correct the attacks against God's word. You're going to enjoy hearing from him. He's a world-renowned Christian apologist and scholar. He teaches at Houston Baptist University. You can check out more about Dr. Craig Evans at craigaevans.com. And that's Craig, C-R-A-I-G-A, Evans, E-V-A-N-S, craigaevans.com. And while you're checking them out, I would encourage you to go to Amazon and buy the Holman Quick Source Guide to the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's the Holman Quick Source Guide to the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was written by Dr. Evans. Of course, if you type in Craig Evans and Dead Sea Scrolls, you'll find it. It'll be easy to find. Well, anyway, get ready for an incredible and exciting interview with Dr. Evans about this cutting-edge discovery of a 12th Qumran cave. Welcome to the God Solution Show, Dr. Craig Evans. Hey, good to be with you. So there was a major find this week over in Israel, the 12th Qumran cave. I've been there. I've seen the caves. Uh, this is exciting news. Could you just kind of give us a synopsis of what's going on? Well, uh, scholars have always wondered if there was a 12th cave. Uh, the last cave, Cave 11, was found in 1956. So 11 caves found from 1947 to 1956, yielding over 900 documents. Uh, some of the fragments still being pieced together, so we don't have an exact count of how many scrolls have been recovered. And from time to time, uh, scroll fragments are sold. They're in possession of a Bedouin, or they're in possession of an antiquities collector, something like that. So uh, some of the uh, the scroll fragments were recovered. We just didn't know which cave they came from. Did they come from Cave 4 that had about 600, the lion's share? or whatever. So we refer to Cave X or uh, X scrolls that came from an unknown cave. And so it's possible this Cave 12 is the X cave. That's an interesting sidelight. DNA testing might determine it. But let me back up and explain how it got found. In 1993, amidst concerns that the West Bank might be forever lost to Israel, uh, a Operation Scroll was launched. It involved people from the IAA, the Israel Antiquities Authority, the Armed Forces, volunteers, archaeologists, and others. And so dozens of people uh, fanned out and covered the whole area on foot looking for caves. And, and over 300 caves were cataloged as potentially worth looking into. Well, that was in 1993. Randall Price, who's an archaeologist on the faculty of Liberty University, was one of these volunteers. And the cave called number 53 caught his attention. And so he finally got permission to excavate it, and he did that with some Hebrew University people, archaeologists, a number of volunteers, and including Carrie Summers of Museum of the Bible, which will open up in December 
uh, November of 2017 in Washington, D.C. Anyway, they got into this cave in the month of January, just last month, and worked a few weeks excavating everything, and they found broken jars that were scroll jars, no question of it, the same kind of jars found in the Qumran caves that originally contained scrolls. They found a linen wrapper, which is used to wrap and protect these scrolls. They actually found a piece of leather scroll. They also found uh, a piece of papyrus and other odds and ends, including the looter's tools, a couple of small pickaxes. And so the cave likely was looted 50, 60 years ago, but it was never discovered by scholars, and so we simply did not know there was a 12th cave. So that's what's happened. And so cave number 12 has been confirmed. DNA testing of the leather that's been recovered might lead to a match with some of the other scroll fragments that we've acquired in recent years from Bedouin and antiquities dealers. So the story will go on. But here's the interesting footnote to the whole thing. There's a good possibility of a 13th cave. So we might be having this conversation in a, in a few months. So there's going to be a new expedition closer to the ruins themselves for a 13th cave, and a cave that doesn't appear to be looted, which means if there were scrolls in it long ago, there probably still are scrolls in it today, which would be very exciting. Cave number 12 that we're talking about right now is about three-quarters of a mile south of the ruins at Qumran, and it's very iconic, memorable Cave 4 that everybody can see so easily. Well, Cave 13, if we can call it that, might be on the other side of it, on that very marled terrace. So who knows? We'll, we'll find out about it. So it is an electrifying discovery, and it makes us very eager uh, for ongoing excavations. We now know that there really are more than the 11 caves that we've known about for 60 years. Dr. Evans, that is extremely exciting, and I hope that we're back in a few months to talk about Cave 13. That would be amazing. But for our listeners, can I ask you a favor? Can I ask you just to recap briefly what the significance of the original Dead Sea Scroll finds are? Well, of course. Uh, many people know that, but a lot of people are new to the story, and so they don't know uh, the uh, 11 caves that were discovered in the 40s and 50s yielded over 900 documents, took years and years to get them all published. These are Bible scrolls, 220 of them or so. Uh, they are also commentaries on these Bible texts, and when I say Bible, I mean Old Testament in Hebrew. There are also some apocryphal stories and visions of the future, there are expectations of the coming of the Messiah, the resurrection of the dead, the destruction of the Western power, probably meaning Rome. Uh, there are some rule books and so on. This is a library that dates, that dates uh, in a range of about 300 B.C. until the time of Jesus, about A.D. 30, 40, 50, in through there. Most of the scrolls date somewhere between 25 B.C. and 100 B.C. That would be the, the core of the library. This is a library connected to the group called the Essenes. Not all scholars agree, but most do. 
the Essenes, the doers, the doers of the law. They're referred to by Josephus, the first century Jewish historian. He talks about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, two groups that are mentioned in the New Testament. But he also talks about a group called the Essenes. Well, we believe we have found their library at their headquarters at, at, in the Dead Sea region at a place called Qumran. If you look at a map, it's the northwest shore of the Dead Sea. It's only about an hour drive or so uh, east of Jerusalem. It's in a disputed area today. It's part of the West Bank. So there's a political side to the whole thing as well. Let me just ask you a little bit of a question that is kind of off topic, but on that broader topic of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, in this uh, area, there was also the Dead Sea Scroll and Stone found, right? That kind of hinted at a suffering Messiah. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Of course, we don't know if it really was a suffering Messiah that was in view, but uh, because some of the, uh, the text is obscure, it is hard to read. But it was uh, probably on the eastern side, maybe the southeastern shore of the Dead Sea, where that stone came from. Hard to date it, hard to tell. Uh, maybe it's 1st century B.C. Some think it might be a 1st or 2nd century A.D. But uh, these kinds of intriguing discoveries are made from time to time that not only shed light on antiquity, the world of Jesus and the 1st century church, but also sometimes raise more questions uh, than, than they, they provide answers. Now, Dr. Evans, t uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I thought with the Dead Sea Scrolls there was copies of Isaiah found that were earlier than anything we had before that validated the accurate transmission of Isaiah. Is that, is that true? That is very true. In fact, as it turns out, the best-preserved Old Testament book is the great Isaiah scroll. There are two large copies of Isaiah from Cave 1, and so we call it Cave 1 Isaiah A and Cave 1 Isaiah uh, B. Uh, the A scroll, though, is almost 100% preserved. All 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah are there. Uh, the scroll could date as far back as 200 B.C., and yes, it does include the famous suffering servant song, Isaiah 53. This so matches what Jesus experienced that there were some skeptics that wondered if Christians wrote Isaiah 53. But now that we have a copy of Isaiah that dates to 200, 150 to 200 years before the actual ministry of Jesus, it's clear that it is indeed a, yeah, authentic to Isaiah. But what you alluded to is quite correct. It shows that the text of Isaiah has remained uh, intact. Uh, it has integrity. The text hasn't changed. It's the same text that people look at today in their Bibles. So when you turn uh, in your English Bible to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 53 or any part of Isaiah, that's the same book. It's the same book that... Uh, goes all the way back to centuries before the time of Jesus. Nobody tampered with it. Nobody changed it. Nobody tried to make it sound a little bit more like Jesus. It was that way saying those things 200 years before the time of Jesus' ministry. That, that is amazing. Do you by chance know what the earliest manuscripts we had before that were? Because I, I thought it was at least hundreds of years earlier. Well, yeah, that's right. See, uh, the great Isaiah scroll dates between 150 and 200 B.C., 
prior to the discovery of the great Isaiah scroll at Qumran in Cave 1, the oldest complete copy in Hebrew of Isaiah dated to 1000 A.D. So this is a staggering leap back in time. So just imagine that, to go from the Leningrad Codex of A.D. 1000 and uh, perhaps also the Aleppo Codex that dates to about A.D. 940, and it's not complete, jump all the way back in time to about 200 B.C. So it's like 12 centuries back in time, and it's still the same text. No significant changes. I mean, there might be the odd scribal mistake involving one word here or there, but it's the same book, the same text, and uh, so that was just a huge uh, discovery relating to what we call textual criticism. Of course, we have 38 of the 39 Old Testament books represented in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but not one as complete as the Isaiah Scroll. Now, I also heard this was a little disappointing for the religion of Mormonism because some of the writings that they thought would have been in there were not. Well, yeah, I know. I, I know <laughs> several Mormon scholars. They're very interested in the Dead Sea Scrolls and various other literatures from antiquity. Uh, they're always hoping to show some kind of a correlation with the Book of Mormon. Uh, obviously, you can see why. If you can find parallels to the Book of Mormon uh, prior to the time of Joseph Smith, 170 years ago or so, then, uh, then what that, that supposedly shows that he, the Book of Mormon was a real thing, uh, an honest-to-goodness Semitic-era text, and so supposedly would give credibility to that story. But, uh, but the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, don't support it at all. The Book of Mormon, in my view, is a 19th-century production produced by Joseph Smith. It doesn't have anything to do with ancient Jewish texts uh, whatsoever. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. You know, I just talked with someone yesterday out doing evangelism on the college campus here, and he grew up a Mormon, and because of that, he came to college uh, seeking to do a master's degree in, in North American prehistory to confirm his Mormonism. And, and he told me very plainly after beginning his uh, his program here, he's he's completely rejected Mormonism, and he's at a loss. He said, I, I don't know where to go. I believe God is real, but I'm stumped. And I took him back to the historical reliability of the Old Testament and the Bible, and he was quite interested. So uh, I think he's coming to some of the same, the same conclusions that you're talking about. And, now, you know, he's not alone either. Uh, I know scholars uh, of Bible, uh, Hebrew Bible, also the Greek New Testament, they're coming to the same conclusion too, because as academics, they you know what what what's happening is they realize when it comes to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, when it comes to the Greek New Testament, there are real manuscripts. There actually is ancient evidence, but when it comes to the Book of Mormon, there isn't any evidence. We don't have the gold plates. We don't have the Hebrew or the Egyptian or whatever it was. We don't have the original text. And it's for a simple reason. There was no gold tablets. There was no original text. And I think that there are Mormon scholars who, who are Bible scholars who see the difference. And so as a Christian uh, who stands in the Orthodox and traditional stream 
uh, I can say, look, we have real texts. I can look at second century fragments of the Greek New Testament. We have the entire Greek New Testament intact by the time you get to A.D. 300. In other words, only about 200 and some years removed from when the originals were written. Uh, when it comes to the Old Testament, we have what we've been talking about, the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have Greek translations of them also that date way, way back. There is no, we don't have to talk about a story. There is no fable about somebody finding gold tablets in a cave somewhere, which have all disappeared. We don't have to talk about that. We've got real stuff we can look at. We have actual hard evidence that anybody can study that's in museums, in university libraries, uh, and so forth. So it's a huge difference. And so I would invite Mormons who might be listening to our program, you know, you don't have to throw your whole faith away. And there are lots of Mormons leaving the Latter-day Saints Church, uh, which is tragic because they're, they're throwing the baby out with the bath. They, they're finding out that the founders were not, were not honest people, didn't know what they were talking about, that the Book of Mormon story seems to be much more of a myth than, than a real thing, and it's destroying their faith in God. And that's a tragedy, because the two don't go together. If you walk away from the Book of Mormon, you still have the Bible. You still have what God did in Jesus. You don't have to walk away from that if it turns out that Joe Smith is telling a story and the Book of Mormon turns out to be fiction. You still have the truth of Scripture. And when I talk to my Mormon friends and I, I try to be pastoral and they're very gracious and they listen to me very courteously, I just say, look, friends, I'm asking you, go back to the old Scriptures. Go back to the ones for which there's evidence. Go back to the ones you know really did exist. They really were written by apostles and uttered by prophets go back to the real stuff and that's where your faith see will be anchored and you don't have to worry about trying to find pyramids or other kinds of evidence like that that doesn't exist here in north america and i and i think they're going to do that i think some of them are making that transition i've actually had mormon scholars bible scholars say i think of myself now really as an evangelical and I'm encouraged by that, and I think that's going to continue. Wonderful. All right, let me get back to Cave 12. You talked about some leather and some papyrus and the possibility of some text on, on those artifacts. I know I read in the article those are being analyzed for text. What's going on there? Is there a possibility of text? Might it be biblical text or some other type of text? Well, uh, if whatever kind of text might come to light will be extremely minimal because the actual writing surface is tiny. We do have uh, a, a small roll of leather. Uh, we do have a piece of papyrus and a few other uh, leather fragments. And so if they're carefully studied under special lighting conditions, maybe a few letters will be observed. That has happened in the past. I don't think we're going to find, uh, you know, like, like a whole paragraph of text. We might at best find just a few letters. We'll wait and see. What I would find interesting is the fragments that have been left behind in the cave by the looters could match through DNA with other texts 
that were sold on the black market. We might then be able to identify other texts that we now have and have had for 10 or 20 years or more. We might be able to identify them and trace them back to Cave 12. Cave 12 is significant because it tells us that there are other caves. It, tell, it gives us a better sense of the territory, you might say, the, uh, the geography of the Qumran community, how far their reach was, so to speak. And, and of course, you never know what else comes to light. Uh, we actually made some Neolithic finds, hunting knives, for example, uh, you know, some other antiquities found in, in, at the very bottom of, of the rubble. So things like that uh, is always, always it's valuable. Wow. All right, so another quick question here as we think about this. You, you emphasized in the article how the Dead Sea Scrolls belong in and to Israel. Uh, can you please uh, share that argument with us and for the listeners and why that's important? Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and on our Fox News opinion post, which has been reposted, I guess it has set a record in terms of how many hits it's received in the last 24 hours, and we will write a sequel that will come out next week. But this, of course, Cave 12, like the other caves before it, raises a new question about who really owns the Dead Sea Scrolls. And that has been disputed from time to time. After all, when the first 11 caves were discovered, the land belonged to Jordan. And, uh, and of course, since then, since the Six-Day War, the land belongs to Israel. And it's hugely disputed. American politics, just in the last, as you know, couple of months, the whole question of the two-state solution, the Palestinians, and so on. So this is antiquity becoming involved in contemporary political debate and dispute. Well, here's the point I, I made in our post. These scrolls are written in which language? The scrolls are written in Hebrew, not Arabic. The scrolls give evidence not only that Israel owns the scrolls, the scrolls are part of Israel's ancient tradition, but as we will argue in the near future, the scrolls themselves bear important evidence that the West Bank belongs to Israel also. This is Israel's home country. Now that doesn't mean that the Palestinians have no right to live where they live. That's not what I'm saying. But the idea that somehow Israel has no right at all to the West Bank is simply just flies in the face of the evidence that Qumran provides. So it may be old, dusty scrolls from long ago, but they have very, very current relevance in a very troubled time. I hope you enjoyed this first part of our interview with Dr. Craig Evans about the recent discovery of a 12th Qumran cave and the possibility of more discoveries to be made in the very near future. It was an exciting interview, and it was just the first. We're going to be talking to Dr. Evans again next week for the second and final part of the interview concerning the recent discovery of a 12th Qumran cave. This has been an exciting interview. I know you don't want to miss the next one. What is so significant about this, though, is the Dead Sea Scrolls fabulously, fabulously confirm the reliability of the Old Testament. I mean, just in an incredible way. And that points to something very important. I mean, the Dead Sea Scrolls proved 
that the Messianic prophecies about Jesus and Isaiah and other portions of the Old Testament were actually authentic and predated Christ. This is exciting news because it tells us that we can really trust what the Bible says, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died for our sins and rose again. If you've never taken a step to put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that God loves you and that you're a sinner that's separated from a perfect God, but that through faith in him, you can be saved. See, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that by trusting in him, by believing in him, you might be saved forever and given a life of meaning and purpose here on this planet. I hope that you'll take that step today if you haven't already. If you haven't, you could even verbalize that right now through prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. Please be my Savior and my Lord. Well, if you took that step for the first time today, you can rest assured that you have eternity with Christ to look forward to and a life of meaning and purpose here on this planet. If you've already taken that step, I would encourage you to continue sharing your faith with those around you. This world desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you're learning some of the evidence that you'll need to defend your faith right here on this show. So please keep telling friends and family about the show and getting the word out about the show. You can go to GodSolutionShow.com to get this interview and all of our past shows. Again, that's GodSolutionShow.com. While you're there, you might consider giving a tax-deductible gift to help keep the show on the air. Well, I'm so thankful that you're listening to the show, and I hope that you'll keep on listening. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.